environmental conversations on creative art, scholarship, and teaching. This, this is, is EcoCast. Hello and welcome to EcoCast, the official podcast of the Association for the Study of Literature and Environment. I'm Gemma Deer. And I'm Brenda Golm. And I'm Lindsay Jalavet. So any of you that listen to the show regularly will have noticed something slightly different just then. And that's because today we don't have a guest, but rather we have a new host. Um, so welcome, Lindsay. Uh, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell the listeners who you are. Yes, absolutely. My name's Lindsay Jolivet. I'm very excited to be here. I am a PhD candidate at the University of Southern California. I research East Asian ecomedia. My specialty is in horror and monsters and folk tales and the relationship between the human and the non-human. I'm originally from North Carolina, where I grew up playing on the beach and traveling to the mountains with my environmental scientist mother. And I'm very happy to be joining Brandon here. We're, we're very, very happy to have you. You've got you've got those you've got deep deep environmental roots having parents that are environmentalists. I did not have that luxury. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't no. I didn't think I would end up I didn't think I would end up studying environmental anything originally, but what we do as children ends up affecting us way more than we expect. So what I guess that's a that's a good good lead in. So what kind of brought you into uh, environmental studies? Um oddly enough uh, zombie movies, um, the unexpected nice. con <laughs> <laughs> the unexpected connection between the rapid industrialization in South Korea and the zombie films coming out of the country in the early 2000s uh, was something I didn't know, but nobody else did either <laughs> because it hadn't been researched yet. <laughs> and then I ended up just seeing all of this imagery about meat eating and the commercial meat industry and it led me down a rabbit hole into eco film eco zombies and eco horror and that's where i ended up proposing to take my dissertation and thankfully i was able to end up drawing a lot on my environmental background from being a child and growing up in nature and my natural sort of connection to that just seamlessly worked into it nice Awesome. Yeah. Our regular listeners as well would usually expect at this point in the show um, a root word from me. But as as I am departing um, and we will return to the, the whys and the wherefores of, of that departure um, in a little bit. But before that, um, Lindsay is going to be bringing a new segment to the show. So she will share that with you for the first time now. In this new segment, I will be introducing folk tales from around the world, almost certainly, that will tie into themes about the eco or whatever other element uh, we are discussing each week. This week, I'm going to tell you a short story that influenced my research early on. It comes from South Korea, and it informs us about the relationship between humans and animals. So a long time ago, when humans were first living 
it was not uncommon for them to eat each other. This was especially exacerbated by the fact that humans had a tendency to transform into the shape of a cow. One man living in a village grew tired of this and was very afraid of being eaten. So he traveled deep into the forest to try and find a monk or hermit or other wise man to give him advice. When he found this wise man, he asked, where should I go? I don't want to live here anymore. People eat each other. It's terrible. And the wise man said, well, there's nowhere you can go. Everywhere in the world is like this. But the man insisted and said, there must be something I can do. I don't want to be eaten. So the wise man said, if you ever are afraid you're going to be eaten, eat some green onions. Green onions will transform you into your true form. So with this knowledge, the man went back to his village. As he approached, he saw three of his friends and he called out to them and said, oh, hello, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. However, his friends did not respond. Instead, they looked at him and said, oh, that's a good looking cow. We should eat that for dinner. During his journey, the man had transformed into a cow. And as he was being captured by his neighbors who should have known who he was, he was very afraid and started frantically looking around to find some green onions. Luckily, right then, there were some along the side of the road, and he was able to extend his bovine neck and grab some green onions and therefore transform back into the shape of a man. His friends apologized and were like, oh, we're so sorry we didn't know it was you. Although crisis was averted that day, there were many others who were inevitably eaten. The moral of this story is somewhat ambiguous, I think. Um, on the one hand, there's the traditional moral of green onions are good for you and help us keep human form and should be eaten regularly. And they're a very common part of South Korean cuisine. On the other hand, I think it has much more of a moral about the fear of being eaten and our relationship to animals and how humans perceive themselves to be so different from animals when in fact we're all living beings. So take from that as you will. Thank you for listening to this story today. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. That was, that was, that was wonderful. Dark and in the best way that folklore tends to be. Um, I also, it, it, there was one moment where you, uh, it was earlier on in it and there was something about like, like the idea of like humans eating other humans and, and just that, that kind of, um, metaphor as well of just the ways not only that we like our relationship to animals but the ways that we treat other people and it reminded me of a i saw a study or heard about a study or something uh i don't know a couple months ago but basically saying that um it it, i don't know the the specifics of it and I'm, i'm probably butchering this and so you know feel free to to look it up as you're listening to this and find it but um that like people who are vegetarian vegan um are more likely to accept i think it was like evolution or something like that and so if this notion that um and and then kind of building out into obviously being more likely to um be open to social justice issues and all that kind of stuff that that once you kind of see that disconnect or that that commonality of you know between us and animals um it helps us to kind of see other people differently i think too in some ways um that it's it's you know 
it removes the competition aspects of of social social norms and culture and, and all that kind of stuff and so Mm. It was it was interesting. I, I, I'm like I said, I'm totally butchering this <laughs> this study completely. It's Wrong like, metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> butchering it. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. um, <laughs> no, it, that also reminds me. Actually, I was at. I mean, I will probably also do a bad job of um, citing the person who said this because I can't remember. But I was at a vegan studies conference last summer, um, and one of the things that really stuck with me was. Um, that someone talking about a study where um when people were like asked to kind of rate the sentience of other animals they were much more likely to rate it as lower when they were eating them mm. so like kind of you know while asked while eating then they kind of distance themselves and from animals and sort of see animals as these kind of uh others that don't have very much um sentience or consciousness or they aren't really worthy of our compassion whereas if they kind of are asked at another time when they're not engaged in this act of eating then they're much more likely to rate them as as higher and I think that kind of is like wrapped up into your story a little bit in that you know they Mm -hmm. kind of they see the being as food and then they realize that no okay this is actually a being who's on on a level with us and it's like perhaps this kind of practice of vegetarianism veganism kind of can help us to um see and appreciate and respect um non-human others in in a way that you know would be helpful for all number of reasons given the current world situation yeah i completely agree and i do think it's interesting that the villagers continue to eat cows despite the fact that they know that this is an occurrence that's happening it doesn't stop them from eating meat anyway. Yeah. So I think there's... <laughs> well, that's that's definitely like a fable for today as well, isn't it? Because there are so many people who are like, I know that eating meat is bad. I know about all the implications. I know it's cruel. I know it's bad for the environment, but I do it anyway. Because it's just, you know, it's kind of so easy for us to like kid ourselves into those choices especially when they're like culturally accepted yeah or or i mean like living in kansas currently it's uh mm-hmm. i mean like the cattle industry is is huge here and i mean there are literally literally people who have like license plate covers that just say eat beef and um you know it's 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 hard like when my when it comes out to my students or when they you know hear about it like uh it's an opportunity like i i you know i love having the opportunity but i've definitely gotten some weird looks out here that I haven't gotten in the past. <laughs> yeah. Um do you guys know there's a like vegan activist called Earthling Ed who's like really great on social media mm-hmm. and he um he debates people about um meat eating. So he like basically mm-hmm. like sits there and is like do you think that we should eat animals like come and talk to me and he's like amazing at debating and then he po- posts all these debates um on youtube and instagram and stuff and there was one that he posted recently where he's like talking to this guy at an american university and the guy is literally like if americans stop eating meat we will become weak and china will take over the world like that was (laughs) that was genuinely his Uh, argument he was like i know it's cruel but i do it because i'm a patriot like (laughs) 
it's it's a it's an odd connection that of course I would love to talk about more someday in the future but it is one of those things with the specifically the Korean meat industry where there are these folk tales but then in the modern context very few people actually ate meat of that variety or of that amount like only generally royalty. So the vast majority of the population did not eat meat on a regular basis. And then America came post-war and said, it's not, you're not healthy enough if you don't eat animal products. So we need to introduce the industrial meat system. Yeah. Marketing. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure all of our listeners have, have probably read it multiple times, but my year of meats is, uh, Ruth Ozeki's mm-hmm. uh, novel. Uh, I don't believe Korean, but same notion. Like it, I think mm-hmm. she's Japanese American, mm-hmm. but um, same notion, right? The, the Japan didn't eat a ton of meat no. uh, until the United States brought it over mm-hmm. there, and like then the whole book is just about like advertising and commercials and uh, all that kind of stuff as it relates to meat. Yeah, fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, I was trying to think of a, a good, a, a, it, would, it would never be a good segue, but a segue. I actually into... have a segue. I okay, actually do it have then. a yeah, segue. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to know if it was going to be as dark as mine was. No, so, I mean, the next thing that we want to talk about is like why I'm leaving, right? And mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I'm leaving um, is that I'm like now working for an animal protection organization that um, campaigns for animal rights and promotes veganism, particularly in um, South America and Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a segue. Oh, um, yeah. Much better but, than what I had. <laughs> so that that's part of this kind of cluster of reasons of why I'm re- leaving the podcast that kind of basically fall under the category of I'm too busy and I have too many projects. So... You know, when I joined the podcast, I was living in um, in Boston doing a postdoc. And then I don't know if we ever. Yeah. And then, I mean, I moved to Munich. If anyone's mm. a like super hardcore regular <laughs> listener, they will know the story. I moved to Munich and was still doing kind of academic things. Um, but then since um, December 2021, I've had kind of one foot, maybe more than one foot family outside of academia. Um, So I started working at um, an arts and cultural institution in Berlin called Haus der Kulturen der Welt. That means the House of World Cultures. Um, And we've been kind of doing loads of, they have this website called anthropocenecurriculum.org, which I guess some ASI members may know because it's kind of all Anthropocene themed publications, but kind of with a slightly less academic front. Um, So I've been doing that, but I've also been doing um, lots of freelance copy editing, and part of which is for this organization that I just told you about. Got back to the segue. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so, you know, it is with a very heavy heart because I have, like, really loved doing the podcast. Like, it's been so great and I really enjoy it and I wish that actually I could keep doing it. But just now that, like, I don't know, I have various working projects, side projects, um, I'm like I've been for the last six months I've also been writing a novel which feels very strange and slightly embarrassing to say in such a public setting but also hopefully will motivate me to finish the thing 
It's like a third there's, there's, done. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, just harass her on Twitter. Hey, how's the, how's the novel? How's the novel? How's the novel? It's coming. I do my like little tiny writing stint every morning, you know, like getting it, getting it in, in dribs and drabs. Um, yeah. And then the other thing with the move, like obviously I started in Boston and then now live in Germany and the time zone difference is like, it's just kind of hard to manage, especially for me. It meant that like, I'm always recording in the evening and then usually we're, we're often recording at the weekend actually. Um, mm -hmm. But just to kind of make it fit with guests, which like kind of on top of all my jobs, it was like, oh, do I want to give up my like weekend evenings? You know, I mean, I love the podcast, but <laughs> I need some free time anyway. Um, that was very long, but I'm maybe not like 100 percent leaving. No. Right. No, well, yeah, well, we, we we're we're still hopeful that. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get some root words, um, mm -hmm. on here still. And obviously like, you know, if, if there's ever a guest, uh, well, I could definitely, when you finish your novel, like let's, let's, yeah. let's get you on to talk about the novel. Um, but you know, yeah, if there's ever like a particular guest or something and you know, you're like, Hey, I, I would love to talk to that person. Then yes, you are, yeah. you're obviously always welcome back. Yeah. So I'll be, I'll become like a, a guest host. I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'm going to say showing my face. No one can see my face. You'll be hearing my voice a couple of times a year at least. Let's say that. Um, and yeah, definitely will be contributing a root word sometimes. So, so yes, it's not, it's not goodbye, but farewell. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, I, 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 do we want to talk more about? I I know we had kind of initially planned to, but you know, I guess it's up to you how much you want to dig into it. But because um, that was going to be closer to my <laughs> segue um, for things was you know uh, the this kind of academia exodus and and this system that is currently you know uh, consuming academics in a <laughs> uh, you know kind of masticating way for lack of a <laughs> better yeah. pun. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not entirely sure that was 100% clearly put, Brandon, but I think <laughs> what he means is that, um, you know, the the kind of reasons for me leaving the podcast, which are to do with having all this other work, which are to do with me not being able to get an academic role, which is part of this, like, broader problem like right I feel like every day on Twitter I see someone being like I'm leaving academia a thread <laughs> you know <laughs> and like just kind of just people who are fed up with precarious contracts and like moving all over the world for these like stupid 12-month positions like yeah I was kind of like I just want to stay in Germany now and um you know there doesn't seem to be that much of a academic that many op academic opportunities for me I mean that said I do I have one my like my my last best hope I have one <laughs> grant application under review currently that's like yeah my kind of last shot which if I get it then then I will stay and that will be based in Germany but if I don't I'm just like right okay I'm doing other things because I just just kind of fed up you know like I have a good qualifications like I have a book yeah like <laughs> I have the 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 like populated cv of of 
peer-reviewed articles and conference papers, but I don't have a job and and it's just kind of exhausting. Yeah. You know? I, I, yeah, I, I think, I, like, honestly, I, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking it might be interesting to, like, dig into it a little bit because I think we have kind of three perspectives here because um, I'm... I count myself very, very fortunate um, to have found, you know, the job that I did and um, to, you know, to have more long-term employment and, and stable employment and stuff like that. And, and you know, I am very, very lucky to have that. Um, and then, you know, as you were just explaining, right, someone who's, who's you know, kind of on that precipice of perhaps leaving academia uh, or at least, you know, kind of sidelining it um mm-hmm. and then we have Lindsay, who is you know kind of just about to enter you know over the next couple of years enter into that um that job market and, and you know where will it be in two years is is you know kind of anyone's guess um so you know i think it would be you know, i would i would love to hear you know from Lindsay a little bit about you know like what's you know how you what your thoughts are on that and like you know how you're yeah. how you're kind of thinking and planning and I don't know. Your fears and hopes and dreams. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, I think perhaps I have slightly a different perspective than some graduate students you will find because although, as I said, my mom is in the environmental sciences, I'm not from an academic background traditionally. And I took many years off and worked in a bakery just doing hmm. Food, like I, I worked in trade, I suppose you could say, for many years before coming back to do a PhD. Um, so although I feel strongly about my research and about teaching, I also don't see leaving academia as something that will damage my personhood, mm. um, which I, I understand the connection between one's self and self-identity and being in academia. I think it's very difficult not to have that because it overtakes your entire life. So I guess that's the one thing I comfort myself with is that I am not a useless human if I leave academia. Um, so I comfort myself with that <laughs> as I watch as I watch all of the threads on Twitter of people being like the job market is terrible and everything's over. Of course, everyone talks about that all the time. But I also think it's comforting that there are other things to do and especially seeing Gemma, for example, do other things. This is a, a little tangent, but I saw Gemma's presentation at like the Asley conference last last summer and it was one of the most my most favorite academic presentations I have ever seen um <laughs> I'm blushing for anyone who you know is wondering I'll add a, I'll add a blush sound effect uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what that is but <laughs> and it was precisely because it was not what I thought of as traditional sort of academic presentation it was beautiful drawing and just Gemma's really lovely voice over it that like I felt communicated so much about the topic that I didn't find communicated in like very standard PowerPoint presentations, for example. Um, so although I think this varies field to field, my field, which is technically East Asian studies, is still quite traditional as a field. Um, I understand that there is less space still for alternate ways of expressing academic opinions, but my hope is that it will get better even in two years <laughs> and there might be more job possibilities for people who want to do interesting, different, unique ways of researching or expressing ideas. 
So yes, I'm cautiously optimistic, though, you know, it's very easy to fall down the social media rabbit hole of everything's terrible and (laughs) no one's ever going to get a job. But I just try not to think too much about that. No, I mean, you know, I'm not like, I'm not saying, oh, it's all terrible. Like I, and I'm not, I'm not sad to be leaving academia. I'm, I'm a little bit like sometimes like, I'm like, man, I've like basically been in academia for 10 years and all my friends who didn't do that are now like really high up in their jobs. And I'm like, you know, doing a like traineeship at Harkavi and it's like, oh, the money is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, you know, and I just but uh, like, so I'm not personally sad, but I do think it's sad for people who do really want to build a career there that they're just mm-hmm. like, aren't the opportunities. Um, and then also like, I mean, you you mentioned that presentation. This is, is on my website. People, if you want, if you're like, what is she talking about? If you go to my website and there's a <laughs> section called videos, the video is there. You can enjoy it. Um, but that presentation which you're like saying that like you know it was really like wonderful for you to watch it I like turned it into a journal article um which I've had rejected from two places and the feedback that I got from it was just like next level harsh like this reads like notes to an undergraduate lecture or like this reads like a like a trade publication as if that's a bad thing I'm like oh you mean it's like well written and understandable <laughs> um so it's like oh maybe i just go write trade publications because god knows they get better money anyway um so yeah i don't know it's just like this kind of unease that i have that like there isn't the opportunities for the people that want them and then like you know maybe when you are doing something a bit different it's like oh no we don't want that yeah but yeah. i'm wondering too if uh, because we're seeing more conversations around it and um you know like so like for me i remember like as i was entering you know phd program at work on my dissertation and stuff it wasn't really i was seeing you know co- you know uh people in my cohort getting jobs and like it wasn't there wasn't like a, a big fear it was like oh well you know i might have to interview a few places but you know i'll find something um and it wasn't until i think post dissertation that kind of year and a half ish to two years where I before I found something that I think more I see more people started leaving more people uh were struggling to find you know full-time positions and stuff like that um and so I think there's there's it's it's good that we're having those conversations so at least people have you know that knowledge but while they're entering or, or you know first starting out with the, the program and so they they at least can start to think about what are those alternatives and yeah. you know it's it's okay if i can't find you know it's still important to me to finish this degree but maybe i do something different with it and that's also okay yeah and and yeah i think really knowing that those other options are there is important because like maybe i was just really blinkered but like i was just kind of on this like train track of like bachelor's master's phd postdocs academia like i didn't even really think like what are the other options and and like that was kind of you know partly like encouragement from from my department and my supervisor and stuff Mm -hmm. but but like i didn't really kind of stop to think like hey is this really what i want and like you know obviously i love researching and writing but like I, this sounds stu- so stupid, but like I just didn't even really realize that you could do that 
not in academia. <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, it's, you know, now, like, I, it's been, like, a few months that I've been working at Harkavi, and so, like, I'm, I'm, like, researching and writing and editing full-time, and, like, I just love it, like, it, you know, and, and I'm good at it, and, like, the academic training has made me really good at it, so it's not like I regret being in academia, but it's just, like, you know, know that just because you have a PhD in like literature or drama doesn't mean that you don't have like incredible skills that you can use in like so many different places. Yeah. And I I am due to <laughs> I'm very excited to see your novel, I'll be honest. Given that I think your writing style is amazing, I think it will translate very well to that. So I, you know, it's another great thing to do with your <laughs> amazing skills. Yeah, well, no pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm determined. It's it's coming along. Any publishers out there listening, hit me up. <laughs> take take Lindsay's word for it. <laughs> well, do we want to shift to I don't know happier? It's gonna be now we're shifting into like bittersweet stuff because we're getting into <laughs> like starting to think about like maybe some of your favorite moments or memories from the, the episode and yeah I the... um you know like this is like a thing that I really should have like thought about and prepared before we recorded uh this is like genuine on the spot thinking I haven't thought about this at all and now I'm like who like what what did we yeah. record how many episodes how many episodes <laughs> have we done Brandon do you know that information uh, I, I can keep talking and I will look it up Okay. But yeah, I think like uh one of my favorite things about doing the podcast has been doing the root words like which is great that I'm still doing that and then people's reactions to them like cuz um we never I don't tell anyone the any of the guests the root words before um before we go on so they like hear it for the the first time and so there's been some like really nice responses where people are like wow that was like such a good intro and so yeah I just I love making people interested in in etymology and like you know I love that that kind of that segment turned out so well um despite Brandon's initial mild doubts about it <laughs> um, yeah the, and, and and they were very mild but like it it ended up like um you know I, I mean I think that's why I've I'm glad you're going to, you know, at least attempt to keep it going. And, um, you know, those episodes where it's gone, I think it'll be, it'll certainly be a, yeah. a missing piece. Yeah. And I mean, not to represent, I'm not like, it wasn't as if Brandon <laughs> was like, no, we're not doing this. But I think when I kind of first said the word etymology, when I was like pitching the segment, he was a bit like, um, and then as soon as I like, I, I think I gave you an example one, right? In the yeah. way back in the depths of time when we had our initial call. And so, yeah, he was obviously persuaded very quickly. But um, yeah, I think, you know, just like the word etymology, people are like wanting to fall asleep. And then you actually like start <laughs> explaining yeah. about like how interesting the history of words are. And they're like, yeah. oh, wow. Um yeah. And it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like language is so endlessly interesting that, yeah. you know, we kind of, um, we use these words without that have these kind of like hidden meanings, um, that, 
without us really knowing about them. And maybe actually I'll do like a sort of semi-unprepared root word. So like to give an example of like the agency of, of words. Um, I'm supposed to be talking about my favorite memories of the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, right. going totally <laughs> off track. But anyway, um, so yeah, some of you may or may know, not know that I have a book on animism. Um, and once I was like well into the writing of this book, I found I like looked up the etymology of my own surname, which is deer. Obviously, we all know what a deer is, a animal. Um, and this, the root of the word deer, so like in Old English, deer um, didn't just mean the animal that we think of as it now, but it actually meant any animal. Um, that has a cognate in modern German. So the German word for animal is Tier, which is obviously the same root. And both these words come from an older root, meaning to breathe. Um, and so my name is actually a version of this kind of like breath word. And then I had like spent years working on animism, which obviously anima which is the same, the root of the word animal is also about breathing, breath, life, spirit. So it's a little bit like, you know, my my name kind of like directed my interests without me even knowing about it. Or it's just a weird coincidence. We'll never know. <laughs> um, anyway, I totally went off the rails there. What were your favorite moments, Brendan? Oh, gosh, I it's... It... <laughs> I'm also like probably should have thought about this more and because I was trying to think because like we've we I oh did you get like, a number did I did you yeah. so, to we, find? so I, we technically have 23 episodes but that's counting the like we've been we've posted like some of the Asley spotlights and stuff like that okay. so I think it's probably around 18 ish um that's pretty yeah. good yeah yeah that's it's, a pretty solid amount of content over almost almost to... two years yeah <laughs> yeah um i don't and I, I guess this is a quick pitch for that too but we'll we'll be posting the call but i i really uh i enjoyed the um quick fictions that we did uh for like the birthday episode last year uh mm -hmm. just some of the, the really cool short works that people submitted for those um that that was that was a big highlight and we're, like i said we're going to post a call we're planning to do that again um for this year so be, be looking for that i'm sure it'll already be on twitter by the time this episode goes out but yeah um, definitely because then yeah. it was also really nice to like have like that bit more engagement with listeners right mm -hmm. so like you know people that were like sending sending us yeah. their stories um and then you know and then having all the different voices on the episode yeah. was really cool and, and speaking of engagement i'm gonna i'm gonna cop out right here too and uh just like hey get onto get onto our twitter and, and let us know what your your favorite memories of the past couple of years have been maybe we'll read them on air at our anniversary yeah. episode we'll see if we get some if we get some i will definitely read them on air um yeah. give us feedback we want to hear it yeah i mean i mean for me i think just just in general the entire experience has been a highlight um for me it's uh you know my my job is much more teaching focused. Um, I don't really do a ton of research anymore because um, I have a heavy teaching load and some other responsibilities here. Um, and so for me, it's just like once a month getting to make sure I'm, I'm 
hearing the awesome work that people are doing and um, just the diversity of that work and you know getting to experience like you know we've we've had poets and we've had um, scholars and you know like everything in between and so it's just um, I think just just you know I'm I'm you know two years ago or actually I mean probably three years ago at this point when when it was kind of first an idea and a, a little a little seed and, and coming into fruition and stuff like. I had no idea what it was going to turn into or uh, whether it was, you know, anyone was going to listen to it or um, anything like that. And so, um, yeah. And all, and, and I, the last thing I'll say is um, just getting to, to, you know, be friends with you um, has been a big highlight and, and just, you know, obviously very sad to, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting, I, I'm, I'm trying not to, <laughs> <laughs> to do no. this but um you know it's it, yeah i that's had 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 this not happened um you know i i wouldn't one i wouldn't be saying goodbye but also um <laughs> you know i just i also wouldn't wouldn't get to call Gemma a friend and um that's been uh, amazing to to be able to do that so yeah oh Brandon. <laughs> um yeah no it's it's been like such a pleasure and an honor honestly and like yeah as I said before it wasn't like an easy decision to make and as I also said goodbye it's as I also said goodbye as I also said before it's not <laughs> yeah, goodbye it's, forever yeah. so so yeah I will still be involved but it's also really exciting that we get to or our listeners get to experience someone new um and you know I think like also just in you know in the spirit of Asley it's like it's about community and like yeah. kind of hearing different voices and stuff so i think i'm i'm also happy to kind of give someone else the stage for a while they're, they're probably um, all like man why isn't brandon leaving instead of Gemma? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not you are like the gravelly voiced rock of the show <laughs> Lindsay, do you have a, I, I know you've you've you know, listen to some, do you have any just like favorite, uh, episodes or anything like that, that you, um, not to, not, I don't know if that's weird and like, <laughs> like, Hey, I mean, talk about how much you loved what we did. But. No, no, no. But I mean, this, this is a legit question, right? Like, yeah, what, what, like, cause we have a, we must have a different experience listening, uh, recording yeah. than, than someone listening. What, what, what did you enjoy listening to? And yes, Brandon has gotten to hear a bit about this because obviously I've talked to him when, interviewing or whatever like planning if I was going to join obviously we talked about some of the things but yeah I haven't gotten to talk to Gemma about it at all my favorite mm, it's hard to pick a favorite there are many really amazing episodes and of course the root words is always a huge highlight I should stop gushing about how much I like listening to Gemma talk <laughs> <laughs> but I can't help it um but one of my favorite episodes is the um tabletop gaming episode um, because as someone who's also interested in that hobby and that world, um, I love seeing it connect to what I study. I'm not in game studies, but I kind of wish I were. But then my only remaining hobby would have become my job as well. So perhaps it's best I'm not. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I love that episode. I love listening to any of those sort of episodes where speakers who have unique ways of integrating eco-criticism or other environmental methods into their teaching and into their work. 
were given a platform to talk about that. And um, it was exciting to hear Brandon be very excited about something and Gemma <laughs> and Gemma trying to be there with him <laughs> and me being like, I have no idea what you're talking about, guys. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, I, I mean, I would love to keep this going, but is it time to end on a roll? I guess it is. Yes. All right. Okay. Well, I, let's, I don't know who should, should we start with Gemma or? Yeah, Lindsay. go with me first. That's all good. Okay. All right. Your number is three. So three is, what are you reading right now or have you been reading recently? Um, well, right now I'm currently actually reading um, This One Sky Day by Leon Ross, which is amazing. But what I would actually like to mention more is something that I read recently, which is um, a book called Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. Have either of you read it? Mm -mm. Nope. But I'm writing both um, of these down. <laughs> so it was published in 1982. Um, and it's kind of, it's like billed as science fiction, but like, mm, I don't know if I would call it that. Um and it is like it's set in a like post-apocalyptic future um, in which like there there has been like a nuclear war and then kind of civilization was destroyed. And then um, like this new kind of civilization has built up, but it's like very basic. So that's kind of the story. But what's interesting about the novel is the language so it's like got this whole own language, which is like this sort of like twisted, like evolved English hmm. where, um, you know, when you first like start reading it, like the first few pages, you're like, whoa, I'm never going to be able to get into this. And then you keep reading and you kind of get into it. And it's and it's told in the first person from the point of view of a 12 year old boy called Ridley Walker. And it was just like the most like affecting, intense reading experience that I've had in a while. Um, and I also just was really like, this is such a great text for environmental studies and eco-criticism because of like the, you know, this kind of, it, it has this like whole like technology moral thing of like, you know, going too far and then like kind of crumbling down. But then also like the ways in which, yeah, language kind of has this like strange power in it I just I just absolutely loved it and I really highly recommend that people like go and look it up but also like stick with it and it's not very long so it's not like gonna be like this mammoth thing but you do need to kind of put a bit of effort in the beginning to like get into the the rhythm of the language and stuff and and then it will blow your mind it blew my mind anyway awesome is it still in print or did you have to get it from like a um, Did you find it like used or in a library? Or I got it on my Kindle. Um, I I would imagine that it's still okay. in print. To be honest Sweet. with you, yeah. I will definitely check that out. All right, Lindsay, pressure's on now. Your question <laughs> is number seven. Uh, all right, well, this one this one fits, I guess, with a little bit of our conversation. So, uh, what has you most excited or hopeful right now? Uh, this could either be like you know scholarly or just in the world in general? I would say this will be a very um, sentimental sounding answer, perhaps. Uh, but 
generally the thing that keeps me most hopeful, and it is true again now as the semester ends, um, would be my students. Mm. I am constantly impressed by how aware and informed and caring a group of 18 to 20 year olds are, especially compared to people my age, older than me, or perhaps how I was at their age even. Oh. So it it is, <laughs> it is, in, I, am, I am constantly impressed by the students that I work with at the university um, and how much they want the world to be a good place and how much they think that it should be. And it is not so much a question as it is, this is how things should be and we will mm -hmm. see it be that way. I wish I got to teach more environmental classes so I could see more of that element of their personality. I don't, I teach mostly film. <laughs> mm. So it, it generally has more to do with human, you know, human problems, which are of course important as well, but you know, more about them caring about racism and sexism and classism and all of those very important parts of our world. And I'm just always amazed by how much they seem like they're going to do the right things <laughs> in yeah. life. Yeah, I, I definitely was. I, I'm right there with you that when I was a freshman, sophomore in college, I didn't care about anything. And I, I regret it a little bit. I wish I'd cared more when I was younger. Making yeah, up for it now, well, trying to. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as as you said, you have a higher teaching load. So luckily now you're getting to give back sure. to that in quite a significant way. Awesome. Well, I guess then uh, it's time to say fair welcome. That that's my <laughs> that was that was my portmanteau. Uh, I apologize for the the really bad pun, if that's considered a pun. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So uh, I don't. I, I, I'm I'm just I'm I feel, I feel like at this point I'm just dragging it out. Like I'm 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 afraid <laughs> to actually start saying the <laughs> the stuff and um, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously, um, if you have ideas for episodes, um, if you've got, uh, if you want to join us uh, as a guest, if you uh, want us to reach out to anybody, um, please get a hold of us. Uh, you can find our uh, all of our, our submission details on our Twitter handle through uh, the link tree that's posted there on our profile. Um, so our Twitter is at asley underscore ecocast you could also email us directly at asley.ecocast at gmail.com if you've enjoyed the show you can help us to reach a bigger audience by subscribing and leaving a review thanks so much for listening until next time bye bye <laughs>
but also sensitive and vulnerable, like quick flesh. Quick fictions are funny, poignant, dark, sad, romantic, strange. They take us to the very quick of things. A quick fiction is not a narrative rushed out like a telegram, tweet or text message. It is a product of labour and love. A brief work composed, revised, sharpened and tightened in order to be enduring and memorable, something to carry with you every day. And so we are looking for thoughtful, arresting pieces about ecological issues, climate breakdown or mass extinction. An eco-quick fiction might be quick cli-fi, quick nature writing, quick neo-pastoral, or it might be a prose poem that reflects on local or global environmental crises. So, if you're interested, submit your eco-quick fictions of up to 300 words in length, but much shorter is also welcome, to the link in the show notes or on our Twitter page by the 24th of June. Our favorites will be featured in a special episode of EcoCast. <laughs>